All right, here we go. Jamie Donau. Uh, I said it right, right? Uh, yep. <laughs> All right. I, I always get nervous when it's, uh, when it's you know, I'll say it a strange last name. You know, if it's not like Jones. Are you calling Williams, my name strange? Well, you know, it's got, it's got like a D and then an H. I think uh, it has as many vowels as it does consonants. It's, it's strange. It's not a, it's not a typical last name. It's okay. I'm not saying it's a bad last well, name. Well, I mean, I married it. I didn't, I didn't end up with it. Mine was much better before. Well, you could have kept yours. I could have. <laughs> but so, I was in the mood for a change, like, you know, getting a new hairstyle, getting a new oh, hair okay. color, you know, this is new last a, name. More of a permanent change though. Oh, that's okay. I mean, you just have to go into the social security office and tell them you want to go back. I mean, it's no big deal. Oh, okay. I changed my oh. name in like 13 minutes after getting married. Like all the buildings were across the street from each other. I'll see. It it's, great. Not, it's not that easy around here. I remember uh, we got married and then my wife, she probably spent like, oh my gosh, I think she spent like five hours. You know, oh, it was go, amazing. Going in line at one place, and then <laughs> they were like, oh, you needed to go to this other place first. And she's like, well, where's that? And they're like, oh, it's over in this city. So they just to drive like 20 minutes to get to – oh, it was rough. It oh, was it's so- funny because in Pittsburgh, you just have to go get your triple seal, um, your, your, your three-seal marriage certificate, which is like you walk into the courthouse and you're like, hey, this is mine. Give me. And they they hand it across with a sour look on their face because they work at the courthouse, you know, and yeah. um, so they give you that, and then you walk down a block and across the street, and that's where the Social Security office is. So you show it to them, yeah. they give you a Social Security card, and then across from the street from there is the DMV. So you just get your license, and boom, you're done. Oh, it's all on one street. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. It really doesn't sound like it could. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. So if you're going to get married, do it in PA. All right. So. I, I know that you, you've kind of, I don't want to say bounced around because that makes it sound like you can't hold a job. So no, we gotta, we gotta say this a different <laughs> way. You've, you've just, you've done a lot of different things. Like, I mean, you've, you've got brand diva right now and, and that you're, you're like helping uh, MSPs, it companies with their marketing. Mm-hmm. And then before that you were with a couple of other companies, you, you did the same thing. Mm-hmm. You, you you did uh it msp marketing and mm-hmm. then you decided i you know you, you had the same you had the same train of thought that us msps had why am i doing this for you know 20 30 whatever an hour when they're making 150 this sucks i'm gonna go do it on my own and and now you're a business owner and you realize how much it sucks being a business owner probably oh no and, uh, oh no no i wouldn't have it any other way my husband Good. was furloughed and uh, about, about two, three weeks ago, and he came home and he's like, I don't know what we're going to do. And I said, I got this. Good for you. We're good. good so I don't think I would have that stability if I hadn't, if I hadn't started this. And I feel good doing what I do. I love what I do. And I wake up in the morning with a clear conscience and feel good about myself. And, you know, that, that to me is worth more than all the money in the world. That's awesome. So, you know, uh, the three pillars to job satisfaction are um, autonomy, mastery. What's the third one? Autonomy, mastery, and... And it's uh, growth, you know, 
Uh, so those three things, I, I have both, I have all three things, you know, I have mastery. I have the ability to grow. I'm not stagnating in one place. And, um, you know, and I get the autonomy to kind of choose. And the one thing about the MSP world is that I go where I'm needed. So right now where I'm needed is assisting folks with prospecting, teaching them how to do it. IT professionals specifically. I don't work with, I don't work with um, appointment setters. I work with tech, technical minds in order to connect and I help MSPs build a customer service process. And it starts okay. with that very first contact. That very first contact sets the, the stage for that customer experience moving forward. So it's okay. important to get it right. And this isn't a place we can take shortcuts. This isn't no. a place where there's room for error. So it's actually really funny how I, how I ended up in here, if, you, if you're interested in the story. Always. So I was working for an employer whose whose name I will not say okay. uh, that essentially provided canned marketing content. Can I say it? Yeah, you can say it. <laughs> Maybe later. <laughs> no, I, I personally don't mind because honestly, I mean, truth be told, in fact, no, I, I you know, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> That's right. But... Uh, what they did was they offered canned marketing content for MSPs at a, at a very affordable rate, which for money for the price, it's the best you can get, you know, okay. for all the tools that they put in your hands, they provide you everything that you need and more. Plus they have somebody to execute it. So you don't need to know, you don't need to be a marketing expert knowing timing and, you know, taking the, you know, taking an hour to remember to execute this or that, you know. It's already done for you. And for the price for the money, it can't be beat. I mean, when other companies are charging $6,500 a month for this, this is a, a, a small fraction of that. So as far as things go, I mean, they're, they're important. They're an important company to be in the, in the industry. And I'm, and I'm glad they're there and I still refer them. But the reason why I'm keeping my, uh, my, uh, the name to myself is because, um, I was working there for, I'd say it was over a year, maybe close to two. And uh, or I can't remember. Maybe it was a year. Maybe it was two. Not sure. Anywho, uh, so Trump had just won the election, and the country was at its biggest divide. Some people you know, were very liberal. Some people were very conservative. And the starkness between the differences was it was you know it was it was it was palatable like it was actually like palpable and so you know there was a lot of really strong opinions that were going around in the in 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 common day conversations there still are too oh absolutely and so i said to him i said hey i the, the owner of the company i said hey um you know these guys don't even know what to do once they get the leads. Like, you know, they get the engine, they buy, you know, they spend, they spend the money, they wait the time for, you know, things to get nurtured and warmed up. And then once they have a lead that they, that they want to, you know, that that's ready to, you know, to contact, they, they don't know what to do with it. 
they have no idea. And he said, That's well, a problem. yeah. And I said, I think we should teach these folks how to, how to prospect, you know, at least make that first appointment because they don't, they don't have salespeople. They don't have the money for marketing people. That's why they have us. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you know, I'm going to go with something, you know, overseas, you know? And I said, well, we're in Trump America. 50% of the, the, the conversation is about how America needs to be first. And while, you know, we may not subscribe to that, there's a lot of people that are going to, you know, that it, it's going to be detrimental to their business, to their brand by putting that as the only option in their hands mm-hmm. when we can teach them how to do it. And he said, he says, I'm, I don't pay you to think I pay you to sell. Oh, <clears throat> oh, and this is the and this is the what the CEO of that company? It was leadership. <laughs> leadership, okay. I won't specify whom. That's fair because it's not a far cry to figure out who they are. Um, so, <clears throat> but I do maintain that they are the best for the money for what they offer. Absolutely. In fact, I still refer my my current customers to them when they need something that is robust, has everything they need, and drives itself. Okay. So, I have no bad, no ill feelings towards the company, the product, or brand. I have nothing bad to say. But that interaction left a really nasty taste in my mouth because here I was, a female in the technology world, and this is what I was being told. Now I grew up in my dad's computer shop as a child, so you know my. My, you know, one of my biggest, you know, Christmas or birthday presents I asked for was the Sound Blaster, you know, the Creative Sound Blaster sound card, you know, because that's I wanted to I wanted to play Duke Nukem and Commander Keen with sound. So, <laughs> so you were uh, you were kind of a computer nerd way back too. Oh yes, I I had my hands I had my hands elbows deep into it two eighty six three eighty six like way back when. Um. And I built my first computer, I want to say, by the time I was 11. And I did it in under 40 minutes from just parts at my dad's shop. Um, I'll tell you, these days, I don't think I could do it in under 40 minutes. That's because the fingers are too big for the screws. Yeah, I've got, I've got really <laughs> chunky fingers. I do. <laughs> <The fingers. laughs> um, so my dad was a mechanic and he, uh, he actually broke his back. Um, and uh, so he became, he went into computer repair. He always liked to figure out how things worked. So that's kind of how he ended up with his shop. And, you know, I watched him over the years, you know. Um, you know, go from this productive shop that had people in it all the time. And then before you know it, you know, the doors were closed more often than they were open and the lights were one day just went off for good. And it was because he didn't know how to prospect. He didn't know how to contact people. He didn't want to be a sales guy. He didn't want to be, you know, known for that slimy cliche that salespeople are known for that, you know, they have a goal in mind and it's just to trick you into getting there, you know? I I, I gotta tell you, Jamie, I'm I'm in the exact same place. I mean most people are. Yeah. So we're gonna I want you to continue your story, but we're gonna put a pin in this part and we're gonna come back to this. So I watched them and, and I, I'd been a natural salesperson since I was little, um, from Girl Scout cookies all the way to, you know, you can't even imagine, <laughs> like you gave me something to sell and I could sell it. 
Okay. It was just a natural talent I had. So when I was working for this company, I was calling MSPs, booking appointments and selling them. And you know how much, you know how hard it is to sell a managed service provider owner. We, we don't like being called by, by the vendors. Right. We, Why we is hate that? it. Why is that? Because uh, so many reasons. If if we were interested, we'd call you. Right, but how how do you know if you're interested in something if you don't know it's there? It's like how do you know how big the room is if you don't have a flashlight? There's no windows, and all you do is walk in a door. Okay, that's fair. But and I'm not even going to name a name. Okay, there are there are companies out there that like if you're an MSP, you know the company unless you legit are really bad at what you do. So, you know, RMMs and PSAs, like the big players out there, and they'll still call people. Oh, yeah. Like ridiculous amounts of calling. Well, and that's the thing. There's there's a lot of value that they can provide. Like right now, you know, I received a call from, from a, I guess it's, it's a VAR, you know, mm-hmm. it's an indirect reseller uh, for one of my, one of my clients. And, you know, they called to tell me that they were doing free E1 licenses for people, you know, um, free teams for a period of time. And it was a pretty decent period of time. So, you know, those calls are important. And having that conversation and allowing that conversation to take place is just as vi- you know valuable to you as a managed service provider as it is to them to communicate it to you because you may, may be missing out on free E1 licenses if you don't pick up the phone. But the reason why you don't is because you are so, so tired of being hustled. You have things to do. You got people to see. You got places to go. And you've got work, you know, service, you know, service, or you got tickets to, you know, to close. And those things are all well and good, but it's about the person who's reaching out and how they do it. Okay. So you're saying if they weren't, if they didn't sound like a sleazeball, that I wouldn't have a problem with them calling me? If I, if I got you to laugh in the first five, you know, five to 10 seconds, would you, would you, would you have a problem with talking to me? Yes. You would have a problem talking <laughs> no, to me? I, no, I don't, I don't know. I think it, I, I guess I don't, I don't know how to answer that question because. Well, you're not going to laugh wryly. I mean, you're going to ra- you're going to laugh genuinely because I, you know, because I obviously disarmed you to get you to laugh. You don't just laugh like a silly person because oh, you're fair. sarcastic. So if I can get you to laugh in the first 10 to 15 seconds, then I've disarmed you and made you feel okay. like I'm not going to hustle you. Right. And it's all about communicating that. And see, and that's where I, I I think I'm weird enough to think, oh, they're trying to disarm me. Now they're no. really trying to hustle me. That's where my brain goes, though. Like when I, because I'll, I'll start to like feel the tactic being used. What do you have to lose? I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of my life that I could be putting Not really. towards tickets. Not really. That's, but I mean, that's what, oh, that's what we're always thinking. The reason why I say that is because you have the power to hang up the phone. I do. If you disengage and you disarm, you can get to their motive much quicker to see if you're being hustled. But if you put a giant wall, you're making them work, which is not beneficial for you. It's not beneficial for them. And it creates its own tension as the recipient of the call. And you're creating your own tension. 
So what I'm saying is, is if you disarm, you can, you can hang up the phone knowing that the stakes are very low. So, so, so what you're, so I just want to clarify when you're saying that that one company calls me for the seventh time this week, instead of saying, bro, can you just stop calling me? That I should actually let them. Do you them... think that person wants to call you seven times? They pick up the phone and the call reluctance is massive. They literally get, they, they jump over the biggest hurdle in the world to pick up that phone for the seventh time because God damn it, <laughs> they got to call you a seventh time and they know how much you hate it. See, I, I sometimes wonder if they actually know how much we hate it. Oh, they do. In fact, um, I have stats uh, from the uh, behavioral sciences research center, I want to say it is, that state that 60% of owners said they didn't do business with a salesperson because they didn't, because they didn't, well, 45% said that they didn't, um, they didn't call enough. And they didn't ask for the appointment. And the reason why is because we treat people the way we think they're going to treat them in order to expedite. But that's, but the psychology of that is meaningless because here, here, here's my point. The point that I'm trying to make is if I call you and I say, um, by the way, um, is, is swearing sans F-bombs okay? We'll live. Okay. We're all adults. So if I call you and I say, hey, is this Steve? You say what? I don't know. It depends on who's calling. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> I'm not calling to sell you a bunch of shit you don't want or need, okay? Huh. Oh, all right. Well, well then, yeah. This. Well, well then it depends. <laughs> Are you a collections department from somewhere? <laughs> I am. I'm very pleased to say I'm not. All right. All right. Let's let's get this over with, mysterious woman on the other end of this <laughs> phone call. So at that point, I've reassured you that I'm I'm not calling to sell you a bunch of junk you don't want or need. Because if you don't need it, you're not going to buy it. But the information as to the, the fact that it's out there is invaluable of its own. Because you, as an MSP owner, you don't have the time to trudge through the various vendors and figure out what's good about this marketing company or that marketing company and what the differences are between be, between this appointment setting company and that one and da-da-da-da-da. Just like the owners of your clients do not have the time to research the managed service providers in their neighborhood. They don't even understand the industry well enough to ask the right questions. They don't even know what to ask. So what they need is they need somebody who they can trust that is going to say, you know what? I'm not going to sell you a bunch of junk you don't want or need because at the end of the day, selling you crap you don't need makes my stack more complicated and makes my job harder. So it is, it does not benefit anybody, including numero uno, for me to sell you junk you don't need. Okay. I mean, isn't yeah. that the truth? I, I mean, yes, it is the truth. We just don't, we don't think of that because we assume if it's not currently in our collection of stuff we provide, it's all junk we don't need. Okay. And I think the reason for that, quite honestly, is, you know, MSPs are, are busy looking at the bottom line. The, the, the good MSPs are looking, looking at the bottom at line. You're looking at your bottom line. You're not looking at your clients. Well, your clients I, don't know that they have a bad, they don't have, that they have 
Your clients don't know what to look for in a managed service provider if they have a single IT guy who's hell-bent and determined to keep them from getting managed services because they he feels their job is being threatened. But they happen to get a phone call from an owner who knows not 60% of um, owners, which is the original stat I was going to tell you, 60% of owners said that the number one reason why they don't do business with a salesperson is because that sale per- salesperson either A, doesn't understand the customer and the customer's industry, and B, or B, another 60% stat, they don't even understand their own goddamn product or services because okay. salespeople are not technical people. Yeah, and and I think that's that's a good point you've made because the reverse is also true that technical people are not salespeople. But they are. They aren't tricksters. They're not slimy scumballs. So right. you're not salespeople in the in the common in the common you know Use image of what man. a salesperson is. But you're the sale. Um, Rand Fishkin, the C, the uh, former CEO and founder of Moz, he said. I, I, I quote this pretty much daily, but he said, the best way to sell something is not to sell anything. You earn the trust, awareness, and respect of those who might buy. Huh. So you know somebody, let's say you got a friend, right? He's a mechanic. You can't really get the time to see him you know, yourself because maybe he doesn't work in your type of cars or whatnot. But you get a quote from your mechanic and you say, Hey, man, I got this quote from my mechanic. Can I get your take on it? And he says, sure. Um, he goes ahead. He looks at it. And he says, you know what? Um, end of the day, man, you're probably just going to need a new engine, right? The mechanic's quote might have like, you know, an otter end that might eliminate the need for an engine or possibly rule it out. But your friend's looking at it, asks you a couple of symptoms and tells you, hey, I would plan that you may need a new engine. You're not going to fight with him. You're not going to tell him what you think is better. He's your friend. You trust him. You know he's not going to steer you wrong, even if the news is bad. But the reason why you trust him is – or the reason why you don't argue with him is because you you know him, you like him, and you trust him. Yeah, that's true. So you've earned the trust, awareness, and respect of those who might buy. So basically, you don't need to be a salesperson. You just need to be a person who knows how to interact with your friends. People don't want to be sold. People do not want to talk to salespeople. The day of the salesperson, and I hate to say it, and I'm sure I'm going to get just destroyed online for saying this, but the the day of the salesperson for the managed service provider is over. And that is ultimately why, you know, why a lot of these bigger companies out there, like I was sitting in a, I was sitting in a, um, a proposal with, um, or, a, 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 it was like one of those, um, like a deal table type situations, um, with, um, expedient here in Pittsburgh, the data, the data, data company. And they had a solutions architect and a sales engineer outnumbering the decision maker two to one. The solutions okay. architect was the tech was the technical mind. The sales engineer was the salesperson. At the end of the day, nobody wants the salesperson. The salesperson is just the person who who lacks the humiliation of being told no. 
he's not invested. He just takes chances. He just runs with it. He he jumps on it and he jumps on the on the grenade and protects the sales, the the solutions architect from rejection. And at the end of the day, the solutions architect is the one that closes the deal, not the sales engineer. It's the solutions architect ability to explain to explain the problem, the solution, and why the solution is the best fit for their needs, nothing more, nothing less. The salesperson is just a pretty face at the table, but ultimately the solutions architect closes the deal because why? 60% of owners state that the reason why they didn't do business with a salesperson is because they didn't understand their own products and services. The solutions architect does. So what you're saying is, just get rid of the salesperson because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Just have a Bingo. solutions architect Bingo. be a friend and Bingo. sell a product. When you open up your doors and be and open up your MSP, why did you open it? Well, I, I think most people would say that they think they're pretty damn good at, at what they do and they want to make more money than what they were working for someone else. Right, because they looked, they opened up their eyes one day, they looked around, and they saw that they could do it better than somebody because they understood something that nobody else seemed to. True. It's the whole reason why I opened up my business, because I looked around, and I realized there is not one, up until me, person to teach technical people how to cold call. I'm the only person who does it. Well, I'm, well... Maybe uh, as like a service, but I mean, Carrie from Managed She Salesforce, hires them. Those are not salespeople. Those are appointment setters. There's a vast difference. But she's she has taught people how to cold call. Okay. Taught salespeople? Taught MSPs. Okay. Well, I have not heard her do it for quite some time. I I don't know. If she's still doing or or whatever, I just know that. Well, I mean, she's not. You're you're not the first. I mean, she, well, I spoke with her specifically, it. and she said that she would rather put somebody over to me if gotcha. they couldn't afford what she has, because at the end of the day, in oh, order for them to make a the lot. money. Well, I mean, and, and and the service that she offers is good. It's Absolutely. worth the money. I'm not saying it's not worth it, but I mean, it is. But how for, do you grow for? For small M- for small MSPs, what she charges is quite simply beyond their reach. Absolutely. So so it makes sense that how do you, know, you grow she- to a point where you can afford a cold caller without knowing how to cold call? And and that's I think the problem that so many MSPs are running into right now is you know that's that's exactly it. You know, they don't know how to sell. Well, that's why I have my top, the the three reasons why I opened up my doors. Number one, I wanted to offer individualized, one-on-one, cold calling training. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it at a price even a small business owner could afford with no long-term contracts. So you say no long-term contracts. I just want to clarify, like, is there a contract at all? Basically, I have what's called a, a rolling 90-day. So basically, okay. give me 90 days to let me know if, you know, you don't think it's working. And, you know, that's so fine. You have a it, gives me an op- it gives me a notice. It gives me notice so that I can either 
try to figure out where the problem is or, you know, or, or end the relationship. Gotcha. But it gives, I don't take on, I don't take on a bunch of clients where, you know, my clients are anonymous or, you know, or they're, you know, they're anonymous to me. No, I know each one. I know their, 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 their wives' names or, you know, their kids' names. I know, you know, somebody's kids get married in June, um, you know, and COVID's kind of really putting a damper on that. You know, I get to know them personally. How many clients do you, do you have right now? I'll never kiss and tell. That's fair. I usually take on, I, I take on no more than 12 at a time. And I, and I was going to say, you, you have a, I'm sure you have a limit. And I was, I, I guess that was a better question. What's the limit? Yeah, right. So, you know, I try to keep it to a point where I can, because I don't, I do. Once you I get do, past 12, you, it starts to become unmanageable well, I do X amount of hours. Someone. I do X amount of hours per month, you know, where you get, you get a block of hours. Okay. Know? However we use those hours, whether it's putting, you know, I put everybody in, in the same CRM that I have a portal to everybody's. I run that CRM. I teach them a sales process. I load their, you know, their calls. I put templates in there for them to use for emails, things like that. You know, um, <clears throat> you know, teach them different processes and then monitor their progress and show them ways to note because the idea is, is for them to take the, the reins and hand it to somebody else mm-hmm. because the owner isn't going to do it forever. But let's say that you run, let's say that you get a big customer who can no longer afford, you know, your service and you have a tech who's ultimately out of work. Instead of letting them go, why not put the reins in their hands and let them become master of their own universe and gain their own clients and accounts? They're, they're the main tech for it now. They built the relationship from the ground up. That's... They've made they've made the promises, and they they can stick to them. They can own them. They can follow through on them, and they will. Okay. So, instead of having a salesperson, you can technicians can do this. These these are the same technicians that you have contacting your you know out there talking to your customers every day. Why the heck would you have a problem with them? You know, prospecting. Are you embarrassed by them that you don't want them prospecting, but you would put them in front of your customers? Well, I, I don't know that we're necessarily embarrassed by them. Obviously. It's it's that we're we're afraid they'll say something wrong. But they know their product and they're only complicating it for themselves. That's that's true. And I think another another concern a lot of us owners have is we we like to keep some separation between the employees and the finances, if you will. So you don't need to worry some, about that. That's why you put them in a CRM. But but some some MSPs, the employees don't even know what the clients are paying. Well, and that's that's a problem that you have with leadership and transparency. I mean, if you don't know your own price, if you don't let your technicians at least know the pricing, then you need to reevaluate your relationship with your technicians and start paying them way that they should be. Okay. Because obviously you've got something to hide, I'm assuming. Well, I, th- I think it's not necessarily something to hide as much as it's the, the thought, well, if they know what what I'm charging versus what they're making, what's to stop them from thinking they can go do this themselves. Just like I did five, 10, whatever years ago with, with my old boss, when I decided I could go out and do this. Why is that a bad thing though? I mean, honestly, 
How many MSPs go out there and fail? Too many. Why? Oh, obviously because they're not good with their due. Or they're not good at running a business. Running a business is different than being a tack. Running a business is different than being a salesperson. You can you you can sell you can sell the toast, but you don't know how the jelly's made. So this is good stuff. Um, <laughs> I I think I think the the thing that I want to go back to is is you you know you you started with tech as a as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of you you kind of got into you know when you started your business and a little bit before that with that with that other place the those who shall not be named um, the Voldemort of they're not Voldemort. No, they got a good product. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to say who it was because of what, what was quoted because I don't no, want to give them the bad PR. That's they fair. don't deserve it. Um, all right. So, so what, what did you do like in between? Cause you didn't, you didn't just like, all right, I'm 18. I'm going to go work for. Oh my gosh. That's a great question. I actually, um, whenever I was uh, a senior in high school, I actually worked um, here in uh, Pittsburgh as a radio DJ. I was a big fan of the the local the local DJs, and I I was a ham radio operator, and um, you know I I really enjoyed doing traffic and things like that. You know during disasters, um, I was from you know Miami originally, you know Fort Lauderdale, and um, you know came here because of Hurricane Andrew. Lucky me, mm-hmm. right? Um, <laughs> so. Um, <clears throat> I was a big fan of radio, and so I uh, actually got my first my first break in radio at the age of seventeen years old. I wasn't even graduated, and um, I actually did one of those um, those uh, high school credit programs where you got credit for X amount of credits for working full uh, part time or full time. Okay, and uh, I graduated that way, and uh, I was actually I graduated high school in in June of two thousand, but. Um, I was actually behind the, I was at the board when 9-11 happened. Mm. So I actually had to go on the air and tell the world what just happened. Wow. And that, that was a life changer for me. That was, that was one of the most surreal gripping moments of my entire life. Like we look at COVID and I think, oh my God, I never thought for a moment that I would be locked in my house because, you know, basically last man on earth is coming to life in real life. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, you ever see that show? I did. Uh, That's more of a comedy though. And this does not feel like a comedy. Well, they did die in the year 2020 and it was all a respiratory virus and the entire world was taken out by it. Get the fork out of here. I am not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't short you. <laughs> oh my god! True story. And go right. back and watch it. So and and uh, and you know we. Um, so I look at that and I think to myself, the last time I felt that that disconnected from everything I knew and everything I understood about the world around me was was nine eleven was that moment and. It takes me back to that every time I, 
listen to the news and I pay attention. Like I, I keep the stats for the state of Pennsylvania on an Excel spreadsheet because the news just slants everything. So one way or, you know, one direction or the next, regardless of where you sit politically, it's not, it's not doing the public any good to, you know, skew the numbers and to make matters worse. The state of Pennsylvania takes the numbers and makes them, you know, spreads them out as far as they can on pages. So you can't really see the true, the true reality of what we're looking at. But so I, I go on every day and I have a spreadsheet that I've put together to, uh, you know, track day by day what we're looking at. And that's the sort of thing that keeps me sane. But when I looked on, um, I think it was like March 26th or 27th. And I saw that there was, that we hit a 50% increase from one day to the next in infections. It took me back to that morning. So were were you still in high school when 9-11 happened? No, I graduated. Okay. I I was a senior in high school when that happened. And uh, I remember, I I didn't really understand because, you know, I, I didn't have a big family. I didn't know anyone in New York. I didn't really understand how how huge this was, other than uh, terrorists took planes and crashed them into a big building. I did, you know, because I you didn't, didn't even know what terrorism was back then. Right, and and I mean, I I knew that it was a big deal. I just didn't realize how big of a deal because I, I mean. I, I lived in in Brunswick, Ohio. You know, my my uh, idea of a tall building. I mean, our tallest building in Brunswick is six floors, right? So, I I just I I had no concept. Like, I think I'd been to Terminal Tower in Cleveland once before then, and I'd only been on the first I don't know four or five floors where the mall is. So I, I I never actually went up to the top. Apparently, there's an elevator you can go up to the top and like look out, see like mm-hmm. all of Cleveland from the top of this building. Never done it. Um, Meanwhile, I was smoking cigarettes at the top of the Triangle Restaurant at the top of the USX Steel Building <laughs> in high school. <laughs> so yeah. I had a pretty good idea of what 74 floors look like. Yeah. So I I just you know I, I had no I had no concept of right. of the the absolute Oh, just what an absolute cluster that was. We felt safe. We like did. We had, we had the reminiscence of the 1950s when, you know, we were worried about, you know, air, you know, they, we had air raid sirens, but everything was safe otherwise after that. You well, know, well, Jamie, and all the people gr- grew up since then that were around when the air raid sirens were happening, you know, in Japan, you know, Japan, Pearl Harbor and that sort of yeah. thing. I, I think people feel safe, right? Well, Three months ago, people felt safe, even with all of the the crazy things that are happening in the world. People here in the U.S., especially people like, you know, me and my family, we don't travel. You know, we don't have family overseas. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, okay, so, you know, all these countries have bombs and North Korea has, has whatever they have and, uh, you know, they... They were testing something, and Hawaii's thing went off a few months back. And I remember like, that. But but like I don't feel like 
I'd ever felt unsafe, you know? Right. Uh, but, but once all this COVID-19 stuff started, Jamie, I'm telling you, it, um, it really like, it kind of threw me through a tailspin because I'd never, I never experienced anything like this. I, I mean, nobody has experienced this, but. Well, they actually had. If you think about the Louisiana after, after Hurricane Katrina, people were falling ill widespread because of black mold in their buildings but that wasn't worldwide no and that's why that's why we don't you know that's why that's why we don't understand it but they do people from louisiana know basically we can't this is the one time when we can't look at look at it being somebody else's problem and that's the thing that scares us americans live i believe that americans live uh you know we we struggle with the lack of the lack of verifiable control in our political system and our government, we we look for, you know, we look for some sort of control. So we practice active daily dissociation, dissociative uh-huh. techniques where we well, you know, that's that's not a that's not an us problem. That's a Louisiana problem. Maybe their governor should suck less. And then we just whisk it, you know, we brush it off and we move on. You know. This is the one time we cannot do that. And this is what we honestly need. We need to understand how little control we have. We need to understand how not safe we are because life is precious. And we spend so much time thinking about, you know, what, what we need to, you know, what we need to do tomorrow rather than spending time with the people we care about today. Huh. So, all right. Let's let's take this back. I'm not going to bit. say we need COVID. <laughs> we, we we need a wake up call like this. Not necessarily. Let's all die of, of you know this awful disease. Like no, I, that's not at all what I'm saying. So, so are you saying that COVID nineteen is not the the hero we deserve, but the <laughs> the one we need? I don't it's know. The, I don't know the quote. (laughs) Well, I'm going to modify the quote. It's not the hero we need, or it's not the hero we deserve. It's the one we need. But, but what I'm, what I guess I'm going to modify it to is, it's not the hero that we want, but it's the (laughs) it's the type of crisis that we need to grow as a society. I'll, I'll agree with that. And this really opens up the the conversation for you know and. No, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but, you know, universal basic health care. I mean, we're the only developed country in the world that does not have any health care. Everything else that we have from our F, from the FDA controlling our drug, our, our drug approval process to the, the, you know, to the pricing, you know, everything else that we do from HIPAA standards to everything else is controlled by the government. So why, why are we privatizing the way it's paid for when tax dollars are going into the way the decisions are made? The point I'm trying to make is, is that private, private companies do, do not necessarily, we are not benefiting from having private companies having their fingers in an otherwise government oriented processes or healthcare. But but wouldn't the same argument then be for for the other side, the conservative side, 
well, why why would we want the government to to take that on and charge people more taxes and reduce the amount of uh, free market that we have in the company? There isn't a country. free market, though. It's owned by the conservatives, if you ask me my opinion. The market, the market isn't free. It's owned by the by the high rollers in the conservative world, who basically have stock and whatnot in these health insurance, these private health insurers. So at the end of the day, they're just protecting their own assets. They're not actually looking out for us. We can go take a long walk off a short pier as long as their stock prices stay up, and that mm-hmm. damages that. So taking, so if we took stock market out of the healthcare process. The incentivization of it goes away. You don't, you don't, you don't get, you don't have stock on, you know, on on HUD. You don't have stock on the DMV. You know, those are controlled by the government. The passport office is controlled by the government. You don't get stock on those. It's not, it's not meant for profiting. Human life is not a place where we should profit. At the end of the day, we are the only developed country in the world, and I will repeat this: we are the only developing country or developed country in the world that does not have basic health care for their citizens. The only one. Every other country does. So the only difference is I, I remember one of the things that when uh because here here's here's where I stand on all of this, Jamie. I I stand very center. I used I'm to center be, too. I used to be very left and now I stand very center, almost to the point where I can see both sides. And well, I there just is no abstain. side anymore. Well, if you look at it, there is no side anymore as of COVID nineteen. Because right now, we are realizing that the entire country is dependent, is living and dying on employer dependent health care. When right now employers are closing their doors left and right, people are furloughed. I am paying for our benefits. Cobra out of our own pocket because his company has furloughed. Okay. So everybody, and this is a health crisis. This is where it's, we need health care. Mm-hmm. And right now, all of the employers that are, that are providing the health care are on, are on temporary lockdown where they can't make money. So they can't pay for it. So they can't pay for it. We can't pay for it. If we can't pay for it, then we have a bunch of people who are uninsured going to hospitals, dying or making decisions for their own life or death based on their ability to, to pay. Aren't and, the hospitals still obligated to, to uh, take care of them? Whether they Oh, they sure. They're obligated. Out? But here's the deal with the, uh, are you familiar with the, um, with the, ma- uh, the master, uh, what's it called? Master price book or whatever. It's, it's like um, basically hospitals have a, a book that mm-hmm. has the pricing for every for every code that they sure. that they put on your insurance. Well, their insurance coding, if you ever look at your EOB, you get a surgery done or something that says, you know, fifteen thousand dollars. And the then insurance, the insurance o- says, Well, only- we're only gonna give you six thousand for this. No, no, and- they no, no, no. They give like more like fifteen hundred. So okay. the inflated price is what the uninsured, what goes on the uninsured's credit report. But the insurance companies only pay the 1500 They don't get 14000 sitting on their credit report. No, that is taxes that don't need to be paid. But that's 1500 that the hospital's guaranteed to get paid. 
Well, guess what? If you are uninsured and you call the hospital and you say, I can't afford this, they will give you the same goddamn pricing as the insurance company, but they'll give it to you off bill as a payment arrangement. Guess what? The price book is fake. It's all just for money. So what I'm saying is, is that that's to drive people to go get insurance to push more profit into the system. And maybe my tinfoil hat is nice and tall here, but why would they need to make this this $15,000 price or $16,000 price if all they're getting is $1,500 and they're only putting on, you know, you know Joe, Joe, Joe Smith's credit report $1,500 if they can't pay because they called in and, and made an adjustment. Why can't they just charge $1,500? Because, because hospitals don't pay taxes. Not even the private ones? Hospitals do not pay taxes. Okay. I mean, think I, about it. I you write things off I like know, that. Yeah, I, mean, I don't pre- know that one way or another. So, I mean, you have a billable item that you can feasibly put on someone's credit report for sixteen, you know, $15,000. So, therefore, that is real lost income if you really, really, really look at it, for, you know, the, the, the minute technicality that's fifteen thousand dollars that they could receive if you know joe american pays off his credit you know the bad the bad spot on his credit rating and never calls the hospital to get a payment arrangement so that's tangible income that they could be making so technically the difference between fifteen thousand and fifteen hundred is a big fat tax write-off okay at least that's the way i look at it i mean i looked at the eobs and i've done my research on this and I mean, it all just, the point that I'm trying to make is, is that we're, you know, COVID-19 is a health crisis where people need to be admitted to hospitals. And the one major reason why they don't have ventilators and they don't have the things that they need is because they're, I believe it's because they're basically padding their numbers for write-off and they're operating leaner than they should be. They don't have the supplies that they need because they're trying to run as lean as possible. The insurance companies are pushing them down as far as possible. And guess what? Everybody wants to keep the private insurer in place. Why? Okay, so let's let's play a game then. Let's let's say for giggles, we get rid of all the insurance companies. Okay. And we decide we're going to do some some system. So so we're going to do what? Medi- Medicaid, Medicare, whatever. No, I for mean all? basically basically everybody in the United States that does that's beneath, you know, the poverty line has access to, you know, medical assistance slash full medical care. I mean, you know, growing okay, up, what about I mean, I had like, it as a kid. What about people like me and you who were not below the poverty line? Oh, no, everybody would get it. I'm saying we would get the same thing that it, the folks below the poverty line get. Okay, so, so they just roll it out Medicaid. to everybody. So but, you're saying Medicaid for all? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, no, I don't want to say Medicaid because there's that whole donut hole thing. And I'm talking about like actual medical medical coverage from like – What do you mean by yeah. donut hole? There's a there's a problem inside. Uh, are you familiar with the Medicare? Uh, you're not familiar with Medicaid, uh, Medicaid, Medicare donut hole. Okay, so the way that it works is that there is a coverage period that you get in Medicaid, and old people are particularly susceptible to this because they get. I mean, I, I can get the exact numbers, um, <clears throat> but it um, there's a certain amount of coverage where you have um, where like. It's really it's called the the Medicare coverage gap. That's that's so, for Medicare. It's so, still something that Medicaid has as well. Um, but 
essentially what it is, is that, you know, what you pay for your drugs reaches a certain limit and then you get the coverage, but you get, you get part one of like the way that you're, you know, your first, you have to pay X amount of percent to, you know, once you hit this number and then you have to pay a higher percentage till you hit this other number. And then you get the lower, co- you know, lower cost afterwards. And that's called the donut hole. And it can cost, it costs old people, uh, elderly folks on Medicare slash Medicaid, uh, $4,020 a year is the size of their donut hole. And when they're living on fixed income, you work that down to a monthly cost. That's a lot of money. That's dang near, I'd say, three seventy-five to four hundred dollars a month. People so, on fixed income have to come up with. All right, so and that's why I don't want to associate just, this with Medicare, Medicaid, because that's that's the negative connotation that most people get with it. So I'm talking about like a medical assistance type concept where you get coverage. Okay, so so there's the Medicaid, the the coverage gap is what you're talking about, where where there's the gap of people that could have qualified, but they yeah. don't qualify. That has nothing to do with that. Well, then that the donut hole only applies to Medicare. Okay. So I just I just did some research on it. So okay. Medi- Medicaid is I don't claim simply, to be an expert. <laughs> is simply insurance for people that are within that poverty line they get all their other stuff covered and and so how medicaid works though is and it's similar to how medicare works i think but i'm not oh, but, 60 whatever to use it so with medicaid if well, if you make below quick, a certain amount the poverty level folks they don't pay taxes but right. i'm saying that if you provide that to everybody you're getting tax dollars from those things i understand Right. We're, we're on the same page there. Sure. So, so Medicaid, it's going to provide uh, insurance coverage for everyone where there's like no co-pays, no nothing. We just Well, we you'll just still pay co-pays. It. Like even in Canada, you have to pay a co-pay. Like Medicaid pay... is not a co-pay. Well, sure. So, so they, go to the, they go to the doctors. So let's, but we got to Most, most we countries simple, do have Jamie. a co-pay. They do. We're, most countries I, do have a co-pay. You and I aren't going to solve the problem. I'm just, no. I'm just saying, uh, you know, we got to play, we got to play the game right now because you brought it up. So we're playing the I game. I didn't bring it up. I'm just no, saying that COVID is bringing it up. <laughs> You you turned COVID into your into your liberal liberal wheelhouse. Of- I'm not actually liberal. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, all right, so I voted John McCain. I was I I love John McCain. I wanted to see him become president. No, I'm not liberal. But who did you vote for in the last election? Um, I hated them both. <laughs> I hated them both. Like loathed them both. So. That does not ha- have any bearing on political anything because they are both awful human beings. That's, that's <laughs> fair. I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't put that dumpster fire out if I walked past it for either of them. Oh, that's not nice. All right. So, so, the, so the Medicaid thing, let's, let's Sorry, pretend everyone's, getting... everyone's playing, uh, everyone's paying taxes. Okay. And nobody pays a copay. We're just going to make it easy. All right. So. With with the Medicaid thing, uh, they do still go through insurance companies for Medicaid, right? But, and they shouldn't. Like so right you're now, get rid I of the insurance companies. My my one of my closest friends is uh, actually working in the Medicare division of the local insurance company here in PA UPMC, and it's a mass. Like everything that they you know everything that they need to know. Basically, the government is paying them for their coverage at a premium. They're paying the Medicare 
coverage at a premium to have private insurers take it over. There, there's, there's a significant cost toward it because they're paying, you know, the, the taxpayer, the, the government is paying the private insurers X amount of dollars per person that's on their program or on their Medicare. So yes, I mean, the privatized insurance, uh, privatized insurance is still getting tax dollars and they're writing off tax dollars. So it's, it's, it's a mess. And that's why there's no easy answer. So, so the million, I'm just, I'm just guessing here, million people work in insurance, right? Health insurance. I, I wouldn't know. So where do those people work now? I mean, there's, there's plenty of places you can work for. And I'm not even talking about the CEOs. Like, I don't care. Those guys are wealthy enough. They can go do whatever they want. They can buy an island and go sit mojitos on the beach. I mean, the people are still going to need work. They're still going to need to manage the call flow. So, I mean, why not? You got rid of of, uh, private insurance companies. No, what I'm saying is, is they're still going to need to manage the call flow because the DMV still has people that needs to need to answer the phone. So let me tell you, Jamie, the DMV doesn't do a very good job answering the phone. Obviously. But what I'm saying so, is, is that- so what you're saying is you want us to go from being able to call, you know, United Healthcare or or whoever your health insurance company is, and and maybe you're on hold for 20, 30 minutes right now before you get to talk to someone because they too are cutting costs. But if it if it becomes a government run thing, now you're going to be on hold for two or three hours. That's not true because there's all these people that are working insurance that can now get government jobs working in that system that they know they understand. They can be trained, and they can get good jobs that are that are guaranteed. So yes, that's a much better situation. So while who, XYZ company, and they're going the to need government. Who at the government do we put in charge of the insurance? Well, I mean, thing. I I don't. I'm not. I'm I'm not an expert. <laughs> I'm just so, saying that if there's my, people, but my point if there's is, people that need to answer the phone in every situation, whether they sure. have to do it in private or you know, government funded, there's still people that need to answer the phone. So these people can get picked up by the government for government jobs. So the point that I'm trying to make is, is there are workforce, it's just, we're just moving it from private to, to public or to, you know, that sort of thing, which so my, anyway. My conservative friends have, uh, have said to me in the past that healthcare is not a human right. Every other developed country in the in the world thinks it is. So I'm going to go with what they're doing because we're the only odd man out. So, That's what I'm trying to say. We are the so only comp- the only country that thinks otherwise. But okay, but you're saying we need to to turn this into a, a government run thing. That's just making our country closer to socialist. No, and socialists. Socialism. Socialism is, not, is where the government kind of runs everything for you. Socialism. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that I'm politically for or against. What I'm saying is is the COVID-19 situation is opening up the discussion that we need change. Employer you know, employer change, absolutely. employer designated insurance was something that was brought into place. I believe it was um I think it might have been FDR that kind of started that uh, started that for whatever reason I can't remember what it was, but um, it doesn't need to stay that way. Okay, so the point that I'm trying to make is is that we have a major problem with insurance right now 
where healthcare is not right now, healthcare needs to be a human right because right now we have a human crisis. We have a humanitarian you're, crisis. You're and if right. Treated I'm not saying we don't. Human right, we would not necessarily have to worry about if we got if I get part of the reason why I'm paying what I'm paying a month for my husband's furloughed insurance, you know, my husband's insurance for us too while we're furloughed, which by the way, I'm going to point something out to you just as a side note. Don't you think it's weird that when I and my husband have coverage, we pay the same price as we would if we had two children in the family, just as two people. In other words, I can have a family, a family coverage, a family plan for two children and pay just a few dollars over what my husband and I pay just as two people. Right. Okay. As you get older, you, you start needing more and more. No, it's because they feel that for some reason, childless people get more preventative health care, which makes no sense to me. That's the that's the mentality behind it. So, right, but as as you it was just as a side note. Older, it was just a side note. So what I'm saying I mean, eventually, is, your husband's going to have to turn his head and cough as he gets older. That's not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is is that if I have two children that are jumping off the fireplace and smacking their face off a dresser while wearing the Superman cape from from their twin size bed, you know. That to me sounds like a higher health risk than you know two fully grown adults that don't act like jagoffs. Kids, point, kids are resilient, Jamie. The point that I'm trying to <laughs> no, they're not. My husband cracked his head off of like more than a half dozen things as a child. Um, so, um, look at me, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. But right so, now, Jamie, when when. Uh, when are we going to have employees start taking care of our car insurance for us? Employers taking care of our car insurance for us. Driving is not a right. Really? Driving's not a right. You're not going to get a car for free. <laughs> you can walk okay. for free. Sure, no problem. But getting, <laughs> but having somebody replace my liver is free. It shouldn't be something that you have to make a decision based on price. Before. I've but said now three times that it, a side note, and I'd like to get back to my regular, you know, point because you're 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 kind of putting me up against the wall here on something. Oh, I I it's, I just having fun with it now. All right, go go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> right now, I'm paying out of pocket for our health insurance, which is a whole lot of money. It's a thousand bucks a month. That's yeah. how much it costs us. And the reason why I'm paying that is because I would rather pay what I know it's going to cost me every month than what it could cost me if I need to go to a hospital. Okay. That's the whole reason why I do that. And that to me, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for anybody. The poverty line itself sits at about, I think it's like $14,000 a family. And we're paying twelve thousand a year for insurance just for two people. Mm-hmm. What? What? What's the problem here? It's too inflated. It costs too much. It needs to be managed better. However, we do it, whether it's there's regulations put in place or something, something needs to change. And COVID is bringing that conversation to the surface. Well, that's I mean, the def- point I'm trying to make. It, it definitely did here. 
Well, that's the point I'm trying to make. I don't want to get in. I I never wanted to go down the rabbit hole of a political back and forth over socialized medicine because either way it goes, I don't care how it happens. I just, I want to see it changed for everybody. And I think a lot of us want to see something change, Jamie. I think the other the other side of the coin is none of us know what to change. Well, that's the thing. The, and the, the every other of- developed country in the world has single payer. Okay. So the point I'm trying to make is, is we already know it works. We already know that it's, that it's not, we don't need to reinvent this wheel because mm-hmm. we need to make we need to make accommodations for a profit system that shouldn't be there. So something needs to change and we need to stop letting money dictate how decisions are made. And that's where that's kind of where I think we tiptoe into politics because there's a lot of lobbyists that want the insurance, privatize insurance because there's a lot of money to be made in it. Right. So let's let's bring this back to COVID without the, pol- the politics. I didn't want to go in politics. No, it's anyway. okay. It's okay. I, <laughs> I kept. I kept dragging You're it. Killing out me, here. dude. I kept dragging. It's so much fun. It's so <laughs> much fun. You just. You just. It's so much fun, Jamie. All right. So, uh, COVID nineteen. Obviously, this has affected your husband. Uh, he's furloughed. That sucks. And there are some people that might not even realize this. Furlough is a lot like being laid off, except furlough, you still have your job to come back to, whereas being laid off, you're like fired. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have to bring you back. Well, if you're and here's off. the thing. My husband works in supply chain for retail. Which is insane. What? He doesn't, works in re- retail supply he, chain. Does he like drive the truck? No. Like he, um, uh, imagine... Um, Imagine you go to like like Rocket Cyber, for example. That's a that's a really great company to okay. to to bring up. Uh, Rocket Cyber, you know, they do the they do the cybersecurity monitoring type thing that you can put over top of your yeah you know, autom- you can put over top of your automate or whatever. Um, hmm. But the way that they work is that they supply the MSPs with the licensing to which the MSPs, which in this role is the retailer, if you will. In my husband's line of work, the MSP would be considered like the retailer who sells to the individual clients. Right. My husband is is the person who sells the retailers their product to resell to their customers. So he's um, in retail supply chain instead sure. of being to an MSP. Retail it might be retail, a supermarket or or something. Right? Um. Well, they're all wireless. He's all wireless stores. Oh. He supplies wireless stores. So we're talking when I just want to clarify, we're talking like Verizon and T Mobile type wireless? Uh like yeah, cell phone actually. wireless. Okay. Uh-huh. So uh, um really I haven't cool even product looked. too, by the way. What what is it? Uh he sells um a thing called liquid glass. And essentially oh, what it is is I it's, love that stuff. Yeah, my husband works for Cell Helmet, the company that makes it. So uh I'm I'm a T Mobile person. I am too. So is is that the one that T-Mobile sells? Uh I think that there I think there might be some some retailers that have it but Liquid Glass is the the liquid that you put over top of your screen, you wipe it off and then it it fills the the imperfections in the glass so when you drop it it's less likely to break. And they also offer a policy it's, that if it does shatter, this is the most important part. If it does shatter, they send you a check to get your screen replaced. 
So this isn't a screen protector. No, this is liquid you put on your screen that cures and fills the imperfections on your screen. That also comes with a policy that if you drop it, they'll send you a check for a hundred bucks for one type uh, or three hundred for the other type of phones, depending on what phone you have. Um, all right, so this is not the thing I was thinking of, ah. uh, which makes this even cooler. Can I can I make a complaint? Can you ca- can you pass along a complaint to your husband to pass Uh-oh. along to his marketing person? Oh my gosh. It's probably uh, something I've already said. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna share I'm just gonna share my screen here. Oh, I hope that you're about to say what I think you're gonna what I've said. I hope so, because I would just die. So I loaded this page up here, right? We'll come back to this. <laughs> come back to this. Oh, you're gonna get me fired. you're gonna get him fired. You need to stop it. So, so on this, on this page here, is he in charge of marketing? No. Then this isn't going to get your husband fired. Don't worry about it. So, so when I loaded this page here, I'm just going to hit reload mm-hmm. and see what happens here. And, uh, and I'm not even going to scroll yet or anything. Let's just. By the way, I think, I think my, that's my husband, by the way, that's him. This, this that's one? him. Oh, that is <laughs> yes. It's going to make a liar out of me now. I'm going to load it again. Jamie, I swear to you. As long as I don't get a text that says it's not furloughed now, that it's fired. (laughs) I'll be happy. Jamie, I swear to you, when I loaded this page the first time, it started auto-playing both of these videos. I was so angry for a moment there. I don't know if maybe you saw it in my face. I did. I did see it split across your face. I was so angry because it started playing both of these videos at once. That is so funny. I hadn't even scrolled. So (laughs) that, that is what I wanted to pass along that uh, it it started playing and now it's not going to do it and it's going to make a liar out of me. So here's what we're going to do. While I've got this browser window open, we're going to we're just going to switch switch over to this. I'm updating the website, but yes. You're updating it. I'm updating it. Okay. So recently I've changed uh we originally I opened up my doors as JD Business Development. Okay. And it was just my initials and the function of my of what I was doing until I came up with a better name. And Brandiva is that name. Oh, see, and I thought it was Brandiva. It is Brandiva or Brandiva, depending on if you're talking about me or the company. I am the MSP Brandiva. Okay. See, I feel like that's confusing. I know. That's why I don't use it. <laughs> I mean, no, it's just Brandiva. It's, but... it's, it's, not, it's not like, well, it's McDonald's if you're whatever, but it's McDonald's, if you're something like they don't do that. Eh, I understand. <laughs> I'm the I, I'm the MSP brand of or Brandiva is more like the McRib. It's but they're specific. both spelled the same way. <laughs> I know. All right, so uh, let's let's talk about what let's talk about your website. I'm going to beat you up now. 
No, don't do that because I need to update it. Don't do that. It's just one thing. Don't update it. It's it's your it's your logo. Yeah. Your logo. I would recommend. Doing... I've changed it. Do you see the one down at the bottom? The big this one. one? Here? That's the one. Yeah, that's the new so, logo. So, do you have the vector format of your logo, like the SVG or whatever file? Yes. Okay. So, open up the editable source in uh, Illustrator, and then you got to make sure if any text is in there, you got to create outlines. That way, it doesn't do weird things. Okay. And then, and then you do uh, file, and then it's like export. Oh, I know how to use Adobe. Well, you know what? I'm going to do it not because don't I you don't... do that. No, no, not for you. I'm gonna, I because I feel like there are MSPs that need to know this. So I'm oh. literally going to open up. You can a file. actually use my logo if you want to to do it on the screen share. I don't mind. Do, uh, can you get me the the Adobe file? Probably. If you send it over to me real quick, I'll I'll use yours. So, <clears throat> so I I pay for the Adobe Creative Suite. Uh, it is expensive, but I am ah. in it almost every day. You need to get your Black Friday special, my dear. What's what what? I pay twenty nine ninety nine for Adobe All Apps. Where do I get the black? It's not Black Friday anymore. Right. So in other words, if you hang tight um, and just not do the year renewal, just do the month to month until Black Friday, they do, I think it's like 70% off. It's $39.99 or $29.99 a month. And I basically canceled my plan for four days until the special came out and then reinstated it under the new price because I wasn't going to let them renew me at $70 a month. I'm like, I don't <laughs> I don't. I don't blame you for that one at all. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's uh, <clears throat> kind of why I'm like, eh, you know, um, yeah, that's why I wanted to let you know that is a very special little thing that they do each and every year. That is just awesome. That is excellent, excellent information to have. I appreciate that. No problem. Always, always, always threaten to cancel too at the end of your pricing. Because if you threaten to cry, uh, cancel, they'll put you in a, pri- a cheaper price each and every mm-hmm. time. So maybe I can get it down to like $12? No, I think the best you can do is the 30 bucks a month. I think that's as low as they go. That's fair. How low can you go? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, Let's see. Mm-mm. Hmm. All right. So you are. I do not have it in my Dropbox. It is on my hard drive on my other computer. Okay. I forgive you. I can just do the PNG. That's all I can do right now. I, I can't do it with a PNG. I know. Okay. Here, one other place. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up and uh, my computer here. I'm going to right click on this file. open with adobe illustrator and by the way do you use spark i um the email no no spark adobe spark 
No, but I use oh Spark. Oh my now. god. You need to. Okay. It's I don't really the, know what it is. It's it's a compact social media marketing tool that you can create all kinds of stuff on the fly. And it takes your brand, it takes your brand colors and creates a template of your brand with your logos and the various colors that you would use it for, for different backgrounds. And it basically lays out nice little combinations of colors so that you don't have to do all the thinking and basically says you select a template, you then, you know, take that template and you apply whatever it is you want to say in your stuff. And then you can post it right from there and you can, it's just amazing. Like, that sounds even really like nice. even like Instagram, uh, like uh, stories and stuff with like things that move in it. It has all of those things. Like, hmm. yeah, I can show you some some of that stuff too. We'll we'll come back to that too. Sure. So uh, here's here's my logo file that I have for Adobe Adobe Illustrator, and what. What I like to do is, uh, as you can see, I have multiple artboards. I've got the full color, a black and a white version. And then I've got the full logo, just the icon, and just the text. Mm-hmm. And um, Jamie, can you explain why I would do something like this for the fine folks watching? Uh, why you would do something like what? Specifically why, the selection? Why I would have all of these options available instead of just having my logo file. Here's my uh, logo. Uh. That's a great question. So, for example, um, with my with my website, I would use the full logo. Uh-huh. I would use the black one if it's a dark background that has busy color. I would use the white the white logo for if I have a dark background, and I would use the R on a business card, monogram, things like that, maybe a T-shirt. That's a really great place to just put your little brand thumbprint is what I like to call it somewhere. Or, or what I like to call, uh, it's, it's not like I made it up, the, um, the icon. that It's that called iconography, and... yes. The icon well, the, for your website, the yeah, favicon. Fa- favicon. The, I always call it a favicon because it's, it's your the favorite. favorite icon. Mm-hmm. It's the fave mm-hmm. icon. So, but yeah, the, the little, uh, like you've got your B. Up fact, as your, if you go as back your... to my website real quick, you can actually see my favicon. Yes, I can. On my tab, where you can see where I use my single letter. Um, and then the other one is typically, um, you know, that's just like where you need it, when you need it, you know, um, without the B or without the R in this case. Um, that's where I would use the, uh, you know, print only. Right. So... So that is um, that is why I have these different versions, and I just want to clarify. You said I I think you just misspoke because I'm sure you know what you're talking about. You said you'd, you'd use the black one on a black background. I think you meant on a light background. On a light background, yes. If especially if you could only use a single color, like if if you had to do a, a newspaper or something where it's just one color, black and white kind of thing. Or be- if you have busy light colors, like if it's a busy pattern with light colors, you need something bold to stand out. That's where I would use the black. That's that's also another good point. So so that's why I have this uh, array, if you will, of logos. Um, and then so if I go file, export, four screens, and then I would pick the one that I want, right? So you would just have the one checked. 
and then you got to do this format for SVG. And when you format for SVG, there's a few options that you got to make sure you've got checked. I just recently redid my computer. Um, so I usually change this to eight. The larger that is, the more um, accurate the SVG will be at any size. Uh, this is fine. Images should be embed. The font should be converted to outlines. And this one should be fine as internal CSS or inline style, whichever you prefer. And then once oh, you can you go back to that? Yeah. You want to screenshot that I settings? Apparently. Oh, see, and uh, it limits you at five. So I apparently I type in eight just because it makes me feel better, and it changes it to five every time. There you go. So, so yeah, when, and then when you export that, you want to export that, like I said, as an SVG. And then uh, because you're using WordPress, you'll need to install a plugin called uh, Safe, F Safe SVG. Now, it looks like you're using Elementor, Jamie. No, uh, I'm your... not. You watch your mouth. No, I'm sorry. You're using Elegant Themes. You're I'm using, using Divi. Divi. Yeah. So I'm a I, Divi diva. I, I saw the the ET and for whatever reason I thought it meant <laughs> I thought it meant element. If I said you watch your mouth, <laughs> you shut your mouth when you're talking you to me. Your mouth, <laughs> bite your tongue. <laughs> All right, so so here, like if I if I right click and I inspect the site on Chrome, like you see, I've, I see the ET, and I don't know why I I was thinking that was Elementor. I should know better. ET is elegant themes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you can typically just like look at the code on somebody's website and you want to see something really out. fun. Maybe, yeah. Another little hobby of mine: hit Brandiva oh. Studios. Brandiva Studios. Brandiva Studios. <laughs> I have taken every one of these photos. Really? Plus some. Oh yeah. So you're a photographer. I am. So I, I want to say, Jamie, I am. Uh, I'm in the market. My my COVID funds. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be in the market here for a DSLR. I'm going to get a cost effective. Like, I don't use DSLR. What do you use? Sony mirrorless. Okay, so the reason I'm I'm kind of leaning DSLR is. Um, I'm going to stop to share because I feel like this this is going to be a conversation. The reason I'm leaning DSLR is because um, I know they've got more lens options, at least right now, nope. for DSLRs. Nope. That's not true at all. I have just as many lenses. In fact, I have more lenses for my Sony Alpha 6400 um, than I have had on my Canon T3. And I think maybe that's why, because I was looking at Canon, and I think oh, yeah. Canon, Canon's mirrorless, they might have like 11 lenses, while their DSLR has like you know, 65 or some stupid number. Well, what I did was I actually bought a adapter for my Sony, it cost me 140 bucks or something. And what it does is it turned, um, it turned the A-mount which they had a plethora of in Sony, the A mount, uh, the Sony A mount to E mount, which is what all of the mirrorless are on. So, with a with an adapter, I was able to get 
like I got a lens that um, I got one of those um, 70 to 200 or 70 to 300, I think. Okay. I say it was 70 to 300. Um, would have cost me, I'm trying to remember, I think it was like 3000 bucks or something like that. Um, but because I got the A, the A mount with the adapter, it, I was able to get it on eBay for 300 bucks. No and way. And then the adapter for one fit, like 150. Yeah. I went with a Tamron, which is the same damn thing as the Sony branded. In fact, sometimes even better. Wow. And I want to show you a pi- the kind of pictures I get on this bad boy. Oh my goodness. Well, I've, I want to talk to you about some, go, go for it. But after, after you do that, I want to talk to you about kind of what I'm looking to do with it. And maybe since you, you do photography, you can maybe point me in the right direction of what I need. I think I might be able to help you out with that. All right. <clears throat> and I think, cause this will help everyone. Cause I bet a lot of people are going to start doing this kind of stuff. Oh yeah. So I, uh, I shoot concert photography for the most part. Fun. And that's what I really enjoy. I like in motion. I like low light situations. Um, so let me do, let me see. How would I do so, that? So to clarify, uh, when I look at your studio page, mm-hmm. let me find it. So I, I do see some nice, like low light looking pictures, but they still have like the, the lights on them. Like the the front lightings or the house lighting, whatever you want to call it. Oh, no, that's meant to be there. Yeah. So, like, do you know how to take good pictures when there's not much light? Well, that's, I mean, this is not much light. Well, okay, so. You snate the person's face if it's behind them, you dig? So here, let let me show you this. I cannot believe I just accidentally hit the pause button. On, on the recording. I'm so mad at me, myself. It, it was like a split second. So, guys, you didn't miss much, okay? So, so like this picture. Obviously, he's got the front light on him. And mm-hmm. he's got a front light. And they've got front light. And That's then, just the regular light. Right. So, so, I understand, like, it's dark in there. But there's still a nice bright light on them. Well, I mean, you're going to have that no matter what in concerts. But you need to have your, F, you need to have your F, F-stop low. In order for like, you have to have a low aperture in order to get there. So you need, you know, you can't use a 3.5 to five, you know. Now uh, you're talking Greek to me. Well, you can't use like when you look at the side of your lens, you see F and then you see one number and then you'll see a dash to another number. Well, that's your aperture. That's how small the hole gets the you know in the in the shutter in order for it to focus i thought that was uh how blurry does the background get no that's called bokeh well i thought it was the the f-stop that Mm -mm. controlled the bokeh no what it does well my iphone has misled me basically that that's you that's there's a there's a there's a center point for your photo, mm-hmm. the foreground to the background, and it's adjust. You're you're talking about the adjustment of where the foreground and the background begin, and that's where you get the blur in front of the person or behind the person. Um, F stop is a term that I'm not really. I don't really. I mean, I almost like 
I don't really know the technical, like technical definition of it. It's more, I I've taught, I've learned everything through practice and sure. You know, I'm self-taught. So, um, you know, as to exactly how that works, like what, what the actual term for that is, it escapes me, <laughs> but I know how to make it work on a camera. <laughs> I know what kind of lens I need for it. So, um, more in practice than in, in, you know, than, um, explanation. Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does. Okay, and when I, when I look, uh, here, let me, let me do this. I should be mirroring my phone here. So this is a picture I took of my son being ridiculous with some, I don't know, goo or slime or whatever it was. And if I click on this this button up here in the top left, it's the F. Mm-hmm. I can change like the depth of field. That's the depth of field, yes. And but I as- guess I just always thought this was that F. I'm not really sure. That might technically be what the f-stop is, but um, I'm talking about aperture. So, um, but no, that doesn't make any sense to me because the lower the number is with on a camera, the uh, the less light you need for it to operate. Give me one second. Okay. I'm gonna because if you look at <clears throat> why don't I just open it up here? I got an idea. Give me one second. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a Steve move. <clears throat> And I'm going to open up this bad boy in Adobe. Yay. Ornament. Adobe Lightroom. My little friend. I might have edited these in there. I think I might have. So, so what I'm looking to do is, um, I want to get, like, I'm going to say DSLR. I don't care if it's DSLR, mirrorless, whatever. I want, like, a nice camera that I can change the lenses, okay? Mm -hmm. And there will be opportunities for me to use it here, like, instead of this webcam. I'll I'll get something that allows me to hook it up to the computer and use it, whether it's via USB or HDMI. Um, I use it as a webcam for me for these here um but then i also want to be able to use it as an option for uh some stuff i'm doing with church um so what i'm doing right now is i'm actually helping them kind of almost build a podcast studio because we're stuck doing church in an office you know and and i think what i you know obviously what i that's going to turn into is something that i'll then be able to take back with me and translate into something bigger and better for my own podcast. Um, so if, if I were looking for a lens that gives me that cool depth of field look and I don't need to shoot much distance, like I don't need to zoom in 57 X. Right. You just need a different, you just don't need a lens to do that. But the camera itself, mirror, okay, mirrorless, the reason why I went mirrorless over DSLR, do you know what, um, do you know what DSLR stands for? Digital, uh, I know it's got a mirror that 
that bounces from inside the lens, single lens reflex or something like that. Correct. It's it, digital it, single lens reflex. So it bounces inside the lens into a mirror, into another mirror, into the viewfinder that you can put your eyeball through. So right. I know that, so I know that like there's pros and cons where like the mirrorless can be thinner uh, and then the lens is going directly from the lens onto the viewfinder. But onto the optics. An, but but there is no like optical viewfinder on most mirrorless cameras. There is. I have an optical viewfinder. Really? Uh huh. Because my understanding was they they kind of got rid of the optical, and you've got an A sixty four hundred. You said. Um. Let me. Um. I can't really see the box from here. A sixty four. A sixty five. I mean, the box is right there, but I. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um. Let me see here. So. Um. I, I I mean, I went with the mirrorless because A, I wanted less pieces to break with what I was doing. I was jostling quite a bit. And I bought my camera back in 2000. Now, gee, I wasn't even dating my husband at the time. So I want to say it was like 2011, maybe. Um, and then, you know, uh, I, I wasn't even dating him, you know, at that point. So, you know, I kept the camera for over almost 10 years before I bought a new one. Um, so I went with, you know, something that was going to be more future-proofed, if you will. Gotcha. It would last me another 10 years. And um, I was very lucky that I didn't break anything in the, you know, jostling and things, you know. But um, let's see here. I... I want them to, I just, I just want this thing to show me the photos in a place where I don't have all my other photos sitting. That's funny. Because oh, I don't want all my photos to be there. Okay. So let's see. Let me do this for, I'm going to share my screen. So here's some of the pieces that I've done. Um, like this one is mm-hmm. full action. Yeah, I see like his hair has got a little blur to it because it's moving around. Well, you can you can even see like the filling in his tooth. <laughs> wow. Like that's, that's the kind of thing you can get. And this was an afternoon shot. Um, like it was afternoon when this was shot. But Gavin DeGraw was at night and I got a couple of really great shots of him. Michael Franti was at night and he actually wasn't on the stage. If you look behind him, Michael Franti is known for jumping off the stage and going into the crowd. I got this shot. And if you notice the rails behind his, um, behind Mm -hmm. his head, he's about 30 feet away from the stage and there is no light on him besides what you see reflecting off of here. Wow. That's cool. But you get full detail. In night. Sure. Um, And what this will do, let's see if it wants to tell me. Um, Let's see. I want to see how do I, I want to see how, how I can see the, did what's what the um, 
the deets on the picture. And I don't know this app that you've got open. This is Lightroom. Yeah, I don't use it. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No, these are just where you edit things, I thought. Yeah. They've changed the way that this looks, and I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Yeah, they've got Lightroom Classics still. Yeah, is this is this Lightroom? Is this a different Lightroom? That might That's, be it. Yeah, this is the new Lightroom. You can actually install Lightroom Classics. I have it. Uh, I'm surprised that that didn't that that didn't uh, do that it didn't open the right one. <laughs> I vey. So huh. so the when you shoot, are you shooting in? I think they call it raw. I shoot in raw. I do raw and um, large. So what exactly is raw? Ah, raw is a completely uncompressed version of a file that has every last detail in it. Let me see. Ah. I might need to just put in. And then you said you also shoot in large. Is it is it saving a version of each? It saves a version of each, but so I burn through memory just, cards like they're going out of style. It's so, a JPEG. Yeah, I was going to say large is just a JPEG. At that mm -hmm. point, why bother shooting large when you have RAW? Well, because RAW sometimes isn't um, like you can't you can't look at RAW as well on on phones. Like the nice thing about the Sony mirrorless is that I can actually, if I think I have a, a an awesome shot, right. I can zoom in on the picture uh, using the digital screen. Right. But I can also send the image to my phone or my iPad to double check and make sure there's no granular motion. Oh. And I can go back to the cutting. I can go back to the drawing board if I need to. Whereas I'll take like 40 or 50 shots and then I'll go on my iPad. I'll push all of them to my iPad Pro and I'll look at my iPad and go, okay, this one, nope, nope, nope up this is the one and i'll delete everything else that i got around it on the uh, on the on the camera to re to retain the space again so i know i'm getting that shot as it's happening hmm. okay um and that's one of the big reasons that i like the sony mirrorless because i can just i can take a picture of you at like like i was at a friend's um halloween party and I took a picture of this, this, this couple and they said, Hey, when, when you get home, can you send it to me? I said, give me your phone number. And I just put, passed my phone and, and sent it to him in a text. So how does it connect to your phone? Bluetooth? Uh, yes. And is there a Sony app you use or any app you want? Um, there's an app for it that I think they keep changing the name on it, but they mm. tell you that in the guide. Okay. Um, I mean, it's not, it does what it needs to. I wouldn't use it for anything further than that. Or if I'm videoing, I can video, pause the video, zoom in with the app while I'm doing the video, while I'm not, you know, sitting at a different point in, in, in the room. I don't have to be behind the camera. Mm. And I can see if somebody's off camera. Like I was doing, uh, doing a video for a relative of mine who's an amputee. He's going, he went back in to have a second, to have a second amputation on the, on the limb because of nerve damage. And so I was doing a video of him talking about that and his concerns because he, he works for a prosthetic company. Like he's a, he's a salesperson for his prosthetic company um, because he's that passionate about it. And so 
make himself more relatable, he wanted to do a video about it. And so, you know, I was able to sit on the left side of the room, the camera was going, told him to look at me and talk to, you know, talk to, you know, his wife. And I kept going like this when his head caught popping out of focus because I saw on the, on the phone that he was drifting down out of the, out of the, you know, out of the, the screen. Gotcha. So things like that make it really good. But aside from that, I mean, I wouldn't really use it for showing video or showing photos or anything like that, you know? Huh. All right. Um, so, so, so what I'm thinking is I want to get a camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't tell you what kind I need though. Like I suspect I don't need like the $5,000 super fancy deluxe Sony, you know? I could I could probably get away with I I guess the and here's where Sony gets real confusing guys. Um so the A6400 is 3 years newer than the A6500. Yes. I have the 6400 which is you just you just told you just gave me the what I needed to remember. I have the new one. So that that just sounds batshit crazy to me because they're going down. It's like when when Xbox went from you know Xbox to Xbox mm. 360 to Xbox One. Like well, you already 60, had an Xbox One. The, the 6500 <laughs> has the A mount, whereas the 6400 has the E mount. Ah, which is why I use the adapter. So you you got the sixty four hundred, and then you bought an adapter so you could still use the A mount. I could use the old lenses from the A mounts, from the original Alpha line, which okay. the as you know, there's always an entry level consumer camera. Right. Then there's like a, a the and then there's there's prosumer, and then there's professional. And the difference between um, consumer and professional is its sensor. There's a thing called crop sensor or a full sen- uh, full frame. Basically, when you have a full frame, you see things outside of where you would see on a crop uh-huh. sensor. Now, consumer and prosumer are usually crop sensors. So, um, so you can always take a full sensor lens and put it on a crop sensor, but you can't take crop sensor lenses and put them on, on full frame because then you'll see like this weird, like vignetting because it doesn't, it doesn't have the full range of focus. So that's why I like the prosumer because I can use the full frame lenses and I still, and I don't have to pay like I think it was like four thousand dollars or something for that for the for the full frame, and I'm like, eh, that's like I don't need a Mark V Canon or Nikon or whatever. And then they got the D series. I'm, I don't need all that. Um, so, <clears throat> so um, you know, that was that's kind of why I like the the mid level, and that's what I went with. And I shoot professional with mid level all the time. And I save a bundle too, because I can use the full frame professional lenses on it without having to pay the consumer beat you over the head and rob you for your money prices. So I see that uh, I'm, I'm just perusing the Sony website. Mm-hmm. I feel like I had something else I was going to talk to you about when we were looking at your site and then I just kind of squirrel. 
So I'm looking at the Sony website and they've got so many different models of, of cameras here. Mm -hmm. So obviously like we can like sort these by price. I love sorting high to low just because I love to see all of the things that are completely unnecessary. Yeah, you like to see how big of a loser you are the further you go down until you find your camera. Well, it's not <laughs> I just like to see how much money some people will spend on stuff, you know? Oh like, yeah. I mean, if I were a portrait photographer, which I do a little portrait from there and there, but I don't do portrait in per I don't do portrait in a studio. Like I was at uh Steve Wise or at um at Chris Weiser's event in Phoenix. Uh-huh. And one of the things that I did was I, you know, offered everybody to take a headshot for them. Sure. And I did it outside, and they turned out really nice. Nice. Um, I put a cactus behind them, <laughs> and it came out really nice. So I do portrait, but I do natural lighting. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, so I look at this, and I just want to. I'm, I'm the kind of guy where I I like to pay cash for things, Jamie. I me when I when I go out and I buy a car, I don't. I will never buy a new car. I won't even buy a car that's just a, a couple years old. I bought car- a new car first time ever because I was the only person in my family that would ever that had ever bought one. My dad used to drive junkers around. So I'm like, I want a new car. I just want to have one once. And I've paid it off since. And I'll drive it until the wheels fall off. Last year, I bought myself a new car. Jamie, I bought myself a 2006 Honda Odyssey Touring. Now, mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't know the the Honda lineup, oh, I the, the I Touring is the top of the line every single bell and whistle. Oh yeah. So my 2006, it has um, you know the rear entertainment with a DVD player and wireless headphones. Oh, nice for the for the kids. Uh, I, I was able to get a Bluetooth thing installed into the dashboard. So now I've got a Bluetooth connection for my phone. Uh, I can stream music. I can do phone calls. I can do it all. Um, you know, it's, it's got heated mirrors. It's got heated seats. Like it's got features. I've never had these kind results. of features in right. a car. And I didn't even know that some of these features existed in 2006, Jamie. And here I, you know how much I paid for that car, Jamie? Hmm. And I bought it from a friend who loves to buy cars and then like fix them up. And He's this, like a car flipper. Oh yeah. But well, this was the one that he had his wife driving around their four kids. Oh, so in. you knew it was money. Oh, I knew it was crisp. Mm-hmm. I knew this thing was a nice, uh, what, what in the car industry, when they're talking about a used car, I knew it was a Puffs Plus. Ooh. So you see this camera right here, Jamie? Oh, real quick. My husband got a new car. You know what it was? What was it? It was a 2006 Mazda 6 with all the bells and whistles. Nice. Now, the new car that I got, I bought it before we got married, so it's paid mm-hmm. off now. Um, I paid it off quick. But it was, uh, it, it was a, 2000, it's a 2015 Mazda CX-5 with the Bose speaker, the Bose surround sound, the infotainment system. Mm-hmm. Got the self-leveling lights that go up and down, all oh, the Bluetooth nice. navigation, backup camera. Like I put every feature and bell and whistle I could get for it. It's fully loaded. And that was just to treat myself. I got a sweet. So you asked me what I did before I ended up doing this. I worked, I got a sweet, sweet ass commission check from, um, I was uh, I was actually working in copier sales for Toshiba, and um, I got like a ridiculous commission check, and so I got the car like paid off like half of it right there. 
you know. Good for you. And uh, paid off the other half within a year and a half or so. But um, but I was like, I want everything just because it's probably the only time I'll ever do it. So why not do it once? So, so Jamie, I, I got myself a, a minivan. I never thought I would drive a minivan. And this thing is so nice, let me tell you. And I paid less money than a photographer would pay for just the body of this A92 camera. <laughs> My husband was about the same thing. Like, yep. Yeah, I paid $4,000. How many miles were on it? 122 or something thousand That's about miles. what Mike got. So, yeah, I I couldn't be happier. And you know what? In a few years, you know, once I've got 180, 190,000, I'll sell it. And I'll tell you what, right now, if I sold it, I could sell it for about, well, not right now because COVID-19. But yeah. if I were to try and sell it right now, I could get about 7,000 for it. That's pretty sweet. So... I could, in theory, sell this car and make a profit. Make a profit, and then buy another car off my buddy. And let me tell you, he's got a car that I, ooh, I really want. What so, you got? It's it's a Volkswagen Touareg. It's the SUV. It's got the V10 or W10 or is whatever it, a it is. Stick? No, no, no. Oh. Touareg's an SUV. It's it's the fully loaded. Well, SUV. Volkswagen's one of the ones that find that still do stick. Like, it's hard to find stick these days, and I love driving stick. I used to love driving stick. Now I just, I want the car to drive for me, okay? Someday I'm going to have a Tesla, and that Tesla is going to be 10 or 15 years old because I will That's not fun. spend $150,000 on Tesla of my dreams. I would never spend 150000 on it. I would get one of the new entry-level ones for thirty-five. dollars if I were I to do anything. I can't fit in it. So, <laughs> so okay. That poses a problem. So, and let me tell you. I know. I mean, my husband people, used to own a smart car. Like he went from a smart car to a Mazda. A lot of people, I'm sure, just made a bunch of fat jokes. Okay, in their mind, they won't actually admit to it, but they did, and that's cool. I'm fat. I get it. But here's but why you I would fit in a smart car. That's the funny thing. Here's why I can't fit in a Tesla three. I can fit in an X. I can fit in a, an S. I cannot fit in a three. So my neck, uh, the, like five of the six or whatever, however many vertebrae are in the neck, right? They fused themselves together. I didn't get surgery, but they're fused. Oh, man. So this is my turn radius. Oh. So, you know, when you get into a car that maybe the the door is, like, here, and you just got to bring your head down? <laughs> Here's how far my head can go down, Jamie. Oh, geez. This is down. And this is down far enough that it's actually causing strain along all of the... um. It's it's not muscle. It's it's nerve. I've got oh, I know. nerve issues. I have problems with my this. with with my cervical spine. I get I get a vertebrae that likes to pull out of alignment and send my teres minor major and a bunch of the muscles into yeah. just complete spasm that just yeah. give me these migraines up the left side of my head. So be, because of that, I physically i i uh, i went down to. Dallas area. I visit my, my mom, my grandma. And while I'm down there, I met up with uh, a buddy of mine who runs an MSP. His name's Andy. And he picked me up in his Porsche. And let me tell you, it was a really nice Porsche. Where's like, he at? Dallas, you said? Dallas area. Yeah. And I, I don't remember. Um, I don't, I'm not a car guy. So, you know, I, I couldn't, it, it could be a 
a 911 or a Carrera or a... Yeah, the ones that have numbers just to elude me. Uh, I have no idea what he picked me up in. It was the it was a car with uh it had a back seat. His his girlfriend went to the back seat so I could sit in the passenger seat. It took me 5 minutes to get into that car. He laughed and laughed. <laughs> Like we had a good laugh because it's again, it's not because I, it's not because I couldn't fit this way. It's because I couldn't, and it, and it also sucks. I have a really long torso and then like short stubby legs, <laughs> so I'm I'm like five eleven, okay, Jamie, and I've got a friend who's six four. Oh my god! And when we meet up at uh, like a bar, we sit at the bar at bar stools. I sit up taller than him. <laughs> I, he's looking up at me even though he's got actually no i think i'm now technically five ten and a half because because of the neck because like neck. it robbed you I of lost, a half an inch i lost half an inch oh let my me god tell you let me tell you every half inch counts i have to know a question okay all right prepare yourself this is this is going to take some serious thought 42 are you ready uh, that's always the answer to life and everything. Um, I'm a total Douglas Adams fan. Just saying. Nice. Um, I'm a total nerd, by the way. Um, like ridiculous. I could go into that for at least a half an hour. What is, if you, if you could go back in time and buy any car that you wanted, and it doesn't need to be the fanciest or the the craziest or the most expensive, but if you could go back and buy any car that you may have looked at and you wished you would have, what would it be? So are you asking me what car I wish I would have bought myself but didn't and I could have afforded it, or are we talking money is no object? Um, well, why not both? You might have asked that reason because you, I figured you asked that reason because you had a category for each. So why not both? I don't. I just, ah. I'm just clarifying because honestly, Jamie, the car I want is a Tesla Model X. Is that one of the 150,000? Uh, I don't think I need to spend that much on it. Probably 105,000 might be good enough. You're you like, know? I can shave off a few of the, a I few of the little options. I don't need ludicrous mode or whatever they call it. <laughs> um, Isn't that from Star- Spaceballs? I don't know. You remember when they went into ludicrous speed and it was like plaid? I I don't think I ever no, I don't I never saw that movie. No, what the Yeah. Fork? Yeah, I never I never saw that movie. Oh my god. You need to you, my homework assignment for you tonight is to please for the love of god watch that movie. I'll see what I can do. It is so funny. I've I've already got plans. It's one of my favorite sick movies. Like is whenever it, I'm sick and I'm in bed and I, and it, I don't want something that's so put, that's so insists upon itself so much that I have to pay attention, but yet it's, tra- you know, and Rick Moranis is so sweet. Like, that, that movie's from the eighties, right? Yeah. Was that pre or post Ghostbusters? I'm not sure. Let me look. Cause wasn't he in Ghostbusters? He was. All right. So, um, and then the other question I have is, do you know what that movie's rated? Can I watch it with my kids? Oh, absolutely. Um, it is rated. It was from 1987. Hey, Alexa, nobody asked you. Shush. <laughs> oh, my God. Why is she talking? I don't know. I, I ask myself the same thing a lot. Well, 
she's not Usually even connected to the internet. Stuff. She's just a spaz. Like we, we changed our Wi-Fi name. Yeah. We went, are you, <laughs> because our, our gateway was acting up. So I gave it a reboot and I changed its name. I changed it from Xanadu to okay. it burns one IP. <laughs> I heard that once in the discord and I just had to use it. Oh my gosh. I was like, that is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Okay. So it's from 1987 and it's a Mel Brooks movie. So yep. it's up there with like the blazing saddles and, mm-hmm. you know, air. Never saw um, that one either. Okay. Um, but it still has a 4.5 audience rating. It has a 57% Rotten Tomatoes and rating. And it is PG. So you can watch it PG and it looks like it might be on Prime Video. All and right. the kids Sold. will Sold. love it. All right. I'll watch it with the kids. I can't guarantee it'll be tonight, but I will watch it with the kids. Um, and they make fun of Star Wars. Like like Dark oh, Helmet is Darth, Darth Vader. That's perfect because um, we've been watching all the Star Wars movies. Oh yeah, um, I've I've been I've been <laughs> I feel so bad for my wife. She's such a good sport. She like doesn't really care for the Star Wars movies. Oh, then and she'll I've, love this. So so for the last like three ish months, we've slowly been going through the entire catalog. We started at Episode One because even though it's newer. The quality on that one is still arguably worse. <laughs> All right. Well, check this out. You ready? Yeah. Paint a picture. You have you have a guy who's like who's like Han Solo. Mm-hmm. He's played by Bill Pullman. Okay. You have the princess, which I think her name is Vespa. And like a really nice Italian car. Well, her, but 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 she's, betro- she's betrothed to Prince Valium, who is boring <laughs> and yawning. Um, Rick Moranis plays Dark Helmet, which is the Darth Vader character, and then you have Half Man, Half Dog, which is like your Chewbacca character, whose pl- his name is Barf or Barf, yeah, Barf, <laughs> and he's played by John Candy. Oh, he's so great. He is so great, and it is just. It's got two point, or it's got um, 2,100, 2,156 reviews on Amazon, and it's got a four and a half star rating. Wow. It doesn't get any better than that. Can, this can is a believe, classic movie. Can you, can you believe Mel Brooks is still alive? Oh, I can. He's, well, he's a member of the tribe. His, his, his stubborn blood goes deep. Well, like, you know, I, I just, you know, there, you know, guys like him and then there's uh, Betty White, like. Betty if, White is like half piss, half vinegar and like three yeah. quarters go F yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, even, even COVID-19 can't take these people out. Like, No, they can't. It's great. They can't. I mean, Boris Johnson come out the other side, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure all of my UK buddies are super excited about that. I'm sure. <laughs> Charmed, I'm sure. <laughs> all right. Well, Jamie, um, I feel like now is a good time for us to start wrapping up. This has been going for like two hours. Can you believe it? I can't because we've been having a good time, I think. I, I have. I mean, I mean, we barely talked about anything business. Really... Oh, there is an important thing that I want to talk about, if okay, that's okay. One of the main reasons that um, that I've been 
one of the big things that I've been doing now with COVID-19 is I'm not so much prospecting right now. I'm not so much doing anything, you know, uh, growth related. The big thing that I'm dedicating myself to is teaching MSPs that you absolutely and positively can, in fact, prospect right now, believe Mm -hmm. it or not. There's a way to do it tastefully. There's a way to do it tactfully. And there's a way that you can, right now, this event is going to change the brand. It's going to, it's going to, um, it's going to set the stage for your brand for decades. So it's very important that you handle it right. And hiding and being afraid of being the person who asks them, you know, who calls them to see if they need help. That is the wrong way to look at it right now. What these people need is they need people to call them and ask them, how are you doing? You are a business owner. You have employees. You have a spouse, maybe some kids at home. And I'm I'm setting the stage for you as an MSP or Mm -hmm. you as one of your clients. Right now, there's a lot of uncertainty, and these people can't talk to their to their spouse about what's on their mind, what's weighing heavily, because it, they don't want to they don't want to frighten their spouse. They want to show that strong face. They also can't talk to their to their employees because their futures are fearful. You know, they're fear, fearful of their futures that their careers may be in jeopardy. So right now, you are stuck internalizing the sheer weight of everything that's going on silently without anybody to talk to, turn to, or gain any understanding from. And this is a good time for somebody like yourself to reach out to somebody like themselves to say, hey, I'm a business owner. I get it. How are Mm -hmm. you doing? How can I help? Right now, continuity is key. And continuity doesn't start when they leave the office. It also works until they get back. And everybody's going to want to get the back to work as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So their business continuity plans need to be foolproof. They need to be ironclad. They need to be intact. They need to be solid. You need to be able to put the weight of their entire company on that plan. And right now, offering them a second set of eyes and explaining, hey, I get it. Onboarding does not make sense right now. I'm not calling to sell you a bunch of junk you don't want or need because, frankly, you, you, you can't, you don't want to onboard right now. And I don't want to onboard you. That's scary enough when you're, when business as usual, but right now I can offer you a second set of eyes on your continuity plan, just to make sure that you don't, that nothing's you know been overlooked, missed, or, you know, that you don't have anything unexpected happen because we want to get our community back to work as fast as we can. And that's our way of giving back to our community. That is the talk track that the managed service provider needs to use right now in COVID-19. And they need to start doing it today. Because right now, that's how you build the, you know, the image of the person that they know, like, and trust. That's how you build trust, awareness, and respect of those who might buy. That's how you become their friend. That's how you become the person that they go to and they're not quite sure if what they're looking at makes sense. That's how you get there. And right now is the best time to do it by showing that you're a human who's a father, a son, a husband, who truly gets them as a human and talk to them like one. 
this is the time. It, it truly is. Um, thank you for that, Jamie. And uh, I'll, I'll say, are, are, are you doing any um, uh, live events coming up? I, I know I've seen you on a couple on, around Facebook. Do you have anything else coming up? Well, I mean, um, you know, I, I've 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 jumped. I've been jumping into the the various webinars, like uh, Ken pa uh, Ken Patterson of Pax Eight and Lori Tisnai, um, and I'm sorry if I said your name wrong, Lori, um, had, uh, with the IT Owners Compass. She has been. Uh, they've been doing a webinar on Tuesdays and Thursdays that I jump mm -hmm. in, and you know, something relevant that I can add value to. I jump in and I kind of give guidance there. Um, Absolutely, yeah. You know, as well as you know, um, partnering with different different um, you know thought leaders in the industry um, to kind of get that message out. Like, I plan on doing something with um, Bob Howard over at Contact Science as well to cover some of this um, in the not too distant future. So, you know, um, yes, you know, yes, there's basically there's a lot of different things that I'm I'm jumping into because right now I want to make sure that everybody. Right now is the time we can change the the we can we can change the way MSPs charge. Right now we're at a point where MSPs know they they can either continue to do business as usual, where the customer tells them what they think that they can afford and what they think they need based on that. But right now is a really good time to start getting customers to see that this is what they need because your IT is only as good as your worst day. Mm. It's very true. It's very so true. right now we can set the stage for becoming a utility, becoming a, uh, a, a an unmovable force in their world that is not that they compromise around, not using, you know, your monthly fee as something that can be shaved off. Just like their rent, just like their lights, their gas. Right now is a time when you can set that set that precedent and change the way that companies are doing business with you. So right that's, now is a really important time. That's that's wonderful. I, I appreciate that you are um, out there helping MSPs right now. Um, I, I feel like I'm I'm helping slash entertaining uh, because <laughs> you know uh, we I feel like a lot of MSPs are stressed right now. So I'm I'm trying to add a a, a little bit of a lighter air as as I talk with people. So I appreciate you you uh, playing along, if you will. Oh no, but, it's a blast! I mean, are you kidding me? This this was this was a ton of fun. It was. You can I, invite I, me in any time. I'll be happy to 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 shoot the you know shoot the breeze with you. That's fine. Oh, good. So, um, guys, check out brandiva.com. B R A N D I V A dot com. Um, Jamie does limit herself on how many uh how many partners or clients or whatever whatever you want to refer to them as but she does she does limit herself because she's she's only she's only got so much of herself to give right and she and i want to give 100% of i want to give every client that i have the attention that they de that they need to learn as quickly as possible i don't want managed service providers to be with me for a long time i want mm. them to get get on their feet get rolling get productive and if they need me to put in their customer service process after they're you know they've punched through that wall that's that's fine but unlike the other companies i don't want you to be with me for a long time I want you to get the information, the skills that you need, 
and get comfortable with the process so that you can you you can move forward because this is not this is not a service that I want that 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 should be a long term one. Right. So, um, in addition to that, you know, um, oftentimes with my clients, if you know they get twelve hours a month. And sometimes if they, if they go over, you know, two or three hours that month, I don't charge them. So I like to keep a little extra time because I want to give you the time that you need, not necessarily what you paid for, because just like, just like you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm a human too. So I try to treat each and one of my clients like they're, you know, they're business owners that uncertainty is looming and treat them to the best of my ability. I want to be somebody that they refer. And and I think you are, Jamie. Um, you're a genuine person. You obviously fight for what you believe in and what you stand for. And I, I appreciate that and I respect that about you. Um, and I, again, I, I just thank you for coming on. So guys, check out brandivo.com. And uh, if you're interested in a peer group for your MSPs, check out rocketmsp.io. Um, I have weekly or monthly peer groups available uh, to MSPs of all sizes. Thanks so much, Jamie. I'll see you guys at the next one. Take care. Stay safe out there. Stay healthy. <laughs>